Welcome to Across the Line. Today, we've got another exciting football update for you here in the Philippines. And so many things have transpired over the last few weeks. Whereas it was doom and gloom just a, a month prior. Today, it's all butterflies and roses. Uh, Chris, exciting times. Start of training. New clubs. New rivals. Uh, new additions. So many things to speak about. So many things to speak about. I think one of the most interesting things that, that you brought up and, and obviously you're on the uh, on the ground with this is, is the protocols and all the things surrounding what teams have to go through in order to get to the training field, to get to the um, facility and actually participate in the session. So, you know, you give us great insight into that. So that's great for, for the, the casual fans and, and the hardened fans to, to listen, just what it takes to actually get the, the training up and running. And lots of stuff around the, the, the global situation, which I think um, still remains unresolved. And obviously, we talk about the new team, Mahalika, mm. um, uh, the, the new boys to the league and, and what they bring to the table. Some, some familiar faces, some big names, household names in there. So, yeah, really, really excited to start to gear up for this upcoming 2020 season. And we take a look at UCFC, the new head coach, some of their new additions, some of those that have gone out as well. Uh, take a look at maybe what are their chances like for for this year you know does it change their tag as favorites in 2020 also there's been an injection of cash from fifa 1.5 million dollars are being sent over to the pff and we indulge in a little bit of an exercise in how would you spend 1.5 million we'd be happy to hear your thoughts on that as well um we hope you enjoyed this conversation we surely did it's been a lot of positivity uh, to drown out some of the more difficult times during this quarantine period. And we hope you enjoy it. If you do, subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. And we look forward to hearing from you on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. This is it. Another football update on this Football Friday. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Massive day for Philippine football. What was once just a little glimmer at the end of the tunnel is finally a proper light and we are walking right through it. Whew, first day of training today after six months away, sidelined because of the global pandemic. Finally, football is truly back, Chris. And what a feeling, you know, just to be out there on the pitch today in Carmona to see everybody back in regular programming, a real treat to see. Yeah, so for those of you who are, who are listening, they're not going to get the full picture, but for those of you who are watching this, you might see a little bit of a suntan on uh, Jingham Lang today. So, I mean, I'm going to let you talk us through it. What, what was it like? What did it look like today at training? Yeah, I mean, first of all, extremely hot, 10 to 12 o'clock um, in Carmona. But the place has been redone a little bit. Um, the lights are there. There's uh, two additional small pitches behind the main pitch. Um, and the, the whole idea is that you can only have 10 individuals on the pitch at one time. That's the beauty of Carmona is that there are three pitches. So on each half, there is five players uh, and one staff member or two staff members that are running stations. Um, that's how Kaya did it anyway. And I believe how most of the teams will be doing it is um, ball work in one area. One is fitness. Another area will be you know, uh, close touches and juggling. The other will be passing. Uh, but essentially, it's just everybody trying to figure themselves back out, you know, uh, find their fitness a little bit, find their touch again, and uh, lots of smiling faces, but a, a lot of tired legs out there as well, you know. Um, Zoom sessions have been ongoing for six months, but being out there in the heat, being out there with the ball at your feet, and being able to really run 
uh, properly, um, it takes its toll. And uh, you could tell that everybody was absolutely gassed at the end of it. But uh, there's no better feeling than getting back into the groove of things, you know, um, especially since for a lot of the people who on that team, it's, it's been their everyday life, not just for the last you know, few years, but their entire lives. They've been training every day for nine months out of the year. And to, to have that taken away for six months has been really brutal for everyone. So um, the start of what should be four weeks of training before the start of the league. So very yeah, so, exciting so, times. So, so talk me through this. So you've got the, the main pitch, yeah. so the, the, the pitch that everyone had been um, playing their games on in previous years. Uh, and then there's a, there's, a, there's a small secondary pitch behind, behind it. Yeah. Is that so right? Behind- when, when, when was that built? I didn't even know that was being um, constructed. Yeah, they started doing it last year. Um, it's, it, it's, it's, it was sort of like hidden because there was a, a, a lower area where you couldn't really okay. see it. Uh, but now it's all done. Uh, they have it leveled almost to where the main pitch is at. And there's just a little cage that separates them. Um, so two mini pitches. Yeah, so it's like maybe for small-sided games or just for technical drills, which were they were utilized for. So when you okay, enter, the, so, enter the facility, yeah, so I- you, you have to go through all of these like little health checks, right? You enter, uh, your car gets... Um, um, sanitized first and foremost you exit you get your temperature taken and you're forced to uh put in your your details for a contact tracing form um uh, everybody is encouraged to use alcohol and to sanitize their and make sure their hygiene is good uh all the materials on the pitch have been previously sanitized with bleach uh, a bleach solution so all the balls all the cones everything like that um it's up to you if you want to wear a mask or not uh, for those that are on the pitch, uh, so all the staff members mostly were wearing masks. Um, the players were not. Um, but that, that is it. You know, everything is, uh, all the players have been previously tested. So it's just a matter of making sure that everything, all the facilities, everything that you sit on, everything that you touch is also clean. And then afterwards. And then, yeah, so, so and then with the, with the actual field setups, you're saying that there was five, on, five players on each half of the field. Yeah. Yeah, and then are you saying that the, the smaller fields uh, adjacent to it, they're also being utilized for training as well? Yes. So yes. you're getting, what, about 20 of the players are working at any one, any one time? Right. Um, and so pretty much the full squad. Full squad. Uh, an okay. additional on the sideline doing just uh, quick uh, agility drills. So everybody was involved. Everybody got Good. a chance to, to get out there and, and stretch the legs a little bit. And um, happily, no, no casualties. No, no, no. There was one casualty. Um, but it was the PT. It was Jolo. <laughs> so we're okay with the PTs getting hurt. Uh, what did, they, what did Jolo injure to start of interest? How did he do that? Hamstring. Um, uh, how, what I would call enthusiastic demonstrator. Overly enthusiastic demonstrator. Mm-hmm. So um, okay. slight pull on the hammy, but he should be fine. Who, who treats the PT? I, I, was, I was telling him, maybe you can self-medicate, bro. Because, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But, I mean. Okay. Wow, I mean, we've been wondering when this was going to transpire. You know what I mean? It, it did not look good. The trends were not providing a lot of optimism as to when this was going to get started or if the league would even still be a possibility. But there's a stubborn, na- stubborn nature with the folks at PFF and, and PFL, and you got to love them for it. You know, um, they're, they're really giving it a shot. And whilst other leagues 
have started and had to stop and had to restart. Um, the PFL is running head on into what they hope will be um, an event-free next four weeks so that we can get started with this competition. I think it's really interesting that a lot of the, the, the guys are able to participate in training because one of the things that a lot of people were talking about was obviously working in these groups of five and, and weren't too sure kind of how that would work. But it seems as though some sort of carousel type um, a rotation was implemented to, to ensure that everyone managed to get some, some good time on, on the field. Um, in terms of actually on the main pitch then, is it, what is it, is it 40 minutes max? Is that, is that correct? Is, it like, is there like a window or time frame where they have to uh, be limited in terms of how much training time they get on the field? No, actually. Um, the beautiful thing about Carmona is in, in the Calabarzon region, they are in MGCQ, right? So while ah, okay. Metro Manila is in GCQ where only five players, in fact, are allowed on the pitch at any given time, MGCQ allows for 10 people on the pitch at any given time and allows for two-hour training sessions as long as there is no contact. So we were actually being a little bit liberal a while ago and having just five players per half um, well, yeah, 10 players on the pitch and then five yeah. on the smaller pitches and one on the outer area. So, um, yeah, all, all protocols were, were observed and um, this is how it's going to be for, for a little while. It's, it's basically just going to be a ramping up process and ensuring that people get to a baseline of uh, fitness before the start of the season. Uh, the yeah, and then, yeah, and how does that, and how's that time with the other clubs? Are they, were they on before, afterwards? Like, what, what, does, what does the slots look like? So Stallion, Stallion has carved out their own schedule. Um, most of them are based in Binyan, so it's a closer travel to them to go to Carmona. Uh, they've taken a 6 o'clock slot. So they, nobody has fought them on that one. So they can have the <laughs> 6 o'clock slot, 6 to 8 every day of the week. Um, in Carmona. In Carmona, right? Yeah. So... Kaya is coming in and training at 10 to 12. Um, United City FC is looking at training at around 2, I believe, 2 o'clock. Um, and then Maharlika just got their training schedules. And this one is a big piece of news as well that we need to speak about. Maharlika FC, uh, a lot of rumblings, a lot of rumors, a lot of whispers over the last few weeks. Yesterday, it was announced that their license has been approved provisionally. Anyway, which means they will be joining this season of the Philippines Football League. So a brand new club is joining the fray. And uh, they were going to begin uh, training, hopefully in a, in a couple of days. They're getting swabbed today. So, um, yeah, interesting times for the PFL. Start of a new season uh, in terms of training and a new club that we can welcome in with a lot of familiar faces, Chris. Uh, you should know quite a bit about them. Yeah, obviously they've been going on uh, social media, uh, announcing their um, some of their signings. They've got some big names there. Um, obviously, well established from their time with the, with the national team, the likes of Misak uh, Bahadoran. Um, my brother has, has been announced there, um, Jerry Barbasa. Um, so you know, some people with, with with national team experience, I think, would would, would certainly bolster that um, that roster. Um, They've got some experienced you know, players from, from back in the UFL, PFL days. People like Wako Kanyas has been announced. Mm. So, you know, I think they've got an experienced lineup. Um, I think they're probably looking to complement that with some youthful uh, exuberance somewhere along the line. And I'm sure some of those signings will be announced. I think they've announced a couple of the young guys 
um, still in high school, have, have announced that they're going to be joining um, joining their, their their roster. So it'll be intrigued intrigued to see intriguing to see how they find that balance between youth and experience, and, and if they are able to um, to find that right mix and blend. So um, yeah, I mean, look at the end of the day, it's important that we have enough teams to um, to actually have a functioning league. So I think it's great that um, that Anton has. has really work diligently behind the scenes to ensure that all of the criteria is met in order to to have a team uh, in this competition and then it's, it's really uh, you know with the other teams that are in there how can they perform at this level I mean with the experience that they've got it would suggest that they might be okay but maybe um, maybe those aged legs might might struggle in a, in a condensed season we'll, we'll have to wait and see but irrespective of that I think it's just great that they've got a team up and running and um, it's exciting to have a new addition to, to this PFL season so a couple of things about that Maharlika development right first of all uh, am I going to be expecting a video coming out soon where you're going to pull off a mask and, and say we are Maharlika FC is that is that going to happen anytime soon Chris I don't know my brother's one was quite amusing I thought <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. as far as <laughs> announcements goes um <laughs> I don't envisage that happening anytime soon, no. Um, I'm feeling pretty fit. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I wouldn't mind getting back and playing at some some point. Um, PFL, though, I'm not too sure. We'll have to wait and see. But, um, I mean, they are making big, big waves. They're making big announcements. I'm yeah. sure they've got more in the pipeline. I'm sure, again, there was sort of that window of um, uncertainty where it was like, you know, are they going to just continue with, with, with the sevens or, a, you know, a, be a sort of semi-professional team or whatever. But obviously, once they've got the paperwork in order, I think it's great that they're in the PFL. I'm sure more people will want to attach themselves to, to the roster now that they know they're going to be in the fully-fledged league this season. Yeah, that, which brings me to my second question. Do you think this is going to be a trend now? Anton Del Rosario, a man who was part of the original, or oh, I wouldn't say the original, um, the, the, the group that made the miracle in Hanoi, is now an owner of a professional football club playing at the top flight of the Philippines. Do you think more individuals such as Anton, um, people like yourself, perhaps, that will be moving in that direction and, and looking to own clubs? Uh, I, I don't know. Well, we, listen, we've, we've had loads of people on the show and they've talked about how they want to get involved with the domestic game. You know, we had Nate Burke on the show last week. And we were talking about his, his excitement to want to get in on, on the coaching front. Obviously, I'm involved with, with the coaching side. Anton's been busy doing his sevens league. So he's been very involved with the community. I think this is obviously a big step. Mm. Um, and it's a very different proposition to, you know, playing, to managing a, a, a youth league, um, to managing a, a, an academy. This is, this is a completely different entity. So um, I'd be intrigued to see how he, how he does it. Obviously, um, you know, some of the parameters are... Are, will probably need to be amended as, as, as they kind of move forward. Because um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Jing, they've got a temporary... Um, provisional. Pro provisional um, license at the moment. So I don't really know what, what that entails. But obviously, in such a short period of time, it's going to be very difficult for them to adhere to all of the um, strict criteria that is necessary to be, you know, AFC... Um, uh, standard with, with a lot of those, with a lot of the things that you need to tick off in order to be a fully bona fide professional team. Um, but yeah, like I said to you before, I just think it's great. I think it's great that he's he's got the passion and enthusiasm to want to continue to progress his um, his footballing empire, really, because he's got loads of different um, things ongoing with, with the footballing world. And I think it's great that you know he's put his money where his mouth is, 
because um, a lot of people have, have obviously said they, they want change, they want, to, they want to get involved, but, but haven't really been willing to do so. So I think, uh, you know, fair play for, to Anton and his team, who I know have worked really diligently in, in getting this, this uh, Mahalika team up and running. And, um, you know, I, I hope it does spur on more people to want to get involved. Obviously, there's, there's a lot of cost issues involved. You know, I, I, I don't know the sort of the ins and outs of how he's funding the program or whether people are getting, uh, you know, paid or getting big salaries you know, comparable to some of these other clubs. But, yeah, the, the main thing, as I said, is, is just that there's another opportunity for people to play in this league, which gives us the quota of teams necessary to, yeah. to have, a, have a fully fixed league, really. From, from what I've seen on social media, I think Anton has come out and said nobody's getting paid. Everybody's going out there and playing for passion. So, um, in terms of keeping the wage bill down, a masterstroke, right? So, <laughs> no. how, so, how does that, so, how does that work, though, Jing, like with obviously with certain compliance issues? So, um, for example, the UFL, I know, although well, there was a paid, they were paying their players, it was mm -hmm. actually an amateur league. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, fast forward to the start of the PFL, one of the mandates was obviously that it was going to be a professional league, yes. that everyone has a base salary, a, 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 you know, a minimum level that everyone would, would need to be earning. Like, how does that tie in on, on that sort of side of things, the compliance side, um, based on the criteria that the PFL and probably the AFC uh, so outline for all professional leagues? I believe that's where the provisional. Um sort of stature of their license falls into that um you know it's they uh, they can tick off a certain number of boxes which the pfl deems as mandatory and then the rest they're sort of glazing over and saying that we're going to suspend sort of these categories of your license in order for you to have the time to fill those um, necessary uh, points right so whether it's maybe you need to get started with putting together your academy. Maybe you have to put the groundwork in in finding your community that you are going to ingrain yourself in. Uh, uh, perhaps beginning with player contracts uh, a year into your operation, things of that nature. Those are conversations that are taking place between Maharlika and uh, Antonio in particular and his general manager, Troy Kalansod, with the PFF and the PFL. So uh, right now, as you said, it's, it's the priority is getting the six into the league, right? And um, making sure that the, the league has an injection of vibrancy with Anton and the rest of the characters that he brings in, which we haven't mentioned, Daniel Matsunaga, of course, is their second foreigner. That is mainstream popularity being taken back into the, the, the football realm. It could bring more eyebrow, uh, eyeballs into the game. So... Um, as you mentioned, perhaps in terms of like having to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with some of the best in the league and um, how much will their experience stack up in terms of when you weigh it with their fitness levels, it's all going to be interesting to see. But one thing is for sure is there's an interest. There's a, how are these guys going to do? You know what I mean? So anything that, that draws a little bit of like, um, I wonder how that's going to uh, pan out. That kind of vibe to, to, to casual fans, that's got to be a positive for the league, right? So, um, yeah. And it's going to be interesting as well to see, you know, Anton's got a lot of ideas about how to market a club and how they should be portrayed in the media. And uh, they've, they've, they've got off to a great start. And, of course, head coach, by the way, is Roxy Dorlas. So a young, young head coach that they've brought in alongside uh, Manu Mariano, Julian Delval, and Enrique Ortiz. All young kids. So, uh, I, I don't know. You know, the sky's the limit for them. Uh, we will see how, how things transpire. A little interesting note, though, 
with the quarantine measures that are in play right now, I understand that 18 year olds are not supposed to be outside or if you're under 18, you're not supposed to be outside of your, your household alongside like senior citizens, right? Senior citizens and the young ones are supposed to be kept indoors while the young adults uh, or the adults are allowed to go out. So some of these 17 year olds, I don't know what the rule is going to be. I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get special dispensation for that. I'm sure mm -hmm. if there is some sort of waiver, then I'm, I'm pretty sure they'll be able to, to engage in that kind of activity. And I'm, and I'm all for it, to be honest with you, Jing. Like I think if, uh, as long as the safety measures are there, that they're in place, you know, I think that's a really critical age, age group, you know, yeah. that sort of 16, 17, 18 year old kids. Um, I think the league is probably going to be watered down to a degree versus how it has been over the past three, four years, maybe. So I think some of those kids are able to step into that breach mm. and, and, and compete and not be out of depth or, or certainly be comparable to some of the, um, to, to the players and some of the other teams. So, um, you know, I, I know some of the young kids that have been sniffing around clubs and, and potentially looking to get games at, at the PFL level and they're more than capable. So mm. I think it's exciting that these kids are going to get the platform and, and the opportunity to play at this level because uh, it would be a shame um, for them to not have any football over the course of this whole 2020 season um, yeah. because that's what it looks like for the majority of, of kids. And I'm looking sort of globally, you know, most, most countries have, uh, are back up and running with their youth, youth sports programs, football in particular, have done a great job globally, of, I think, of, of managing um, the, the process of reintegration back into, the, into um, normal sports um, and competition. So, yeah, for, for me, I'm, I think as long as there's a waiver in place and the kids are capable of playing, it's not a physically... Um, it's, there isn't a disparity there and they're capable of playing at that level I'm, I'm all for them playing in this competition for sure twice you used the word um, in a previous sentence I don't know if that was uh, subliminal messaging for me but you used the word globally twice and that kind of ties in nicely over to the reason why Maharlika FC is in the league because one slot was taken out a slot which they filled that slot was Globals now Globals the last time we spoke on this podcast were in a bit of turmoil and the PFL had taken a hard stance on them and decided that, listen, guys, you have a certain number of days to figure out your affairs, all right? And if you don't figure out your affairs, there will be consequences. That was the messaging from the PFL and the consequences that you're out of the PFL. And quite recently, the PFF, so the league had spoken, kicked them out of the league. Now the federation has spoken and said that we had agreed with the PFL's um, method of uh, disciplining you and now we're stepping in to say that if you do not fix all these wage issues in the next 90 days um, we will revoke your license completely right now it is suspended and global have 90 days to figure things out to either appeal the decision uh, to argue their case or show evidence that they've fixed all of their wrongdoings. If none of these things transpire in the next 90 days, we may very well say goodbye to um, a mainstay in Philippine club football over the last decade. Not only a mainstay, but a pillar. How many trophies have they picked up over the last few years? We're losing a fantastic club. And um, it's a real shame that they're going out like this, Chris. So what's the, what's the current situation? Because... I know when this initially was announced, it must have been about a month ago, they gave them a window where they had to 
you know, they, they had certain criteria that they had to meet. Yeah. Has anything changed since then? There, ha there hasn't really been any murmurs. There hasn't been really any news that have come out of any, any platform. Uh, no one from the club has spoken out. So has, has there been any developments whatsoever since that initial uh, call to action from the, from the PFL and from the Federation? I'm afraid not. I'm afraid there was more of the same. There were promises made. Um, and it seemed like, okay, this is it. All right, our hands are up. We're really going to take the money out now. But then it was another like, we promise you this. And when the day comes that I'm supposed to provide you that money, everything gets a bit slippery, right? So that's been the case. And uh, I'm not even sure if Saya Graphics has been paid. You know, he said that, you know, that the, the settlement was going to come already and all of that. But I don't know if it actually pushed through. So there's a lot of sketchiness in that department and even the new owners are saying that it's not their responsibility that these things should be uh, placed. You know, we, we're not the ones who should be paying these people. It should be the previous set of owners. The previous owners are saying it's the new owners and um, the new owners are saying we're not even the real owners yet. Things of that nature are being thrown around and you don't really know what the story is, you know what I mean? But no. you feel bad about everybody who's been collateral damage throughout this saga. So um, what we do know, and that is a fact, they're not going to be a part of this 2020 PFL. So yeah, global is uh, on the verge and we could be losing two great clubs uh, in the span of a few months, right? Cetis Negros being the other one who, if you look at the last 10 years of clubs that have won championships, they've won the last three Philippines football leagues and they have a UFL under their belt as well, right? That gone, that, that club is gone. That club is now UCFC and they've been making waves as well, Chris. Um, they've released their entire roster. They've released their new kit. They've, they've, they've announced their new head coach and uh, their new goalkeeper. So a lot of things to talk about with UCFC and uh, they are the title favorites given that, you know, they're basically a mainstay of Ceres Negros who have dominated the league over the last three years, but there's a, a little bit of a change, right? I mean, they, they, they changed the head coach, which is huge. Noma Risto, Trevor Morgan in his place, uh, English gentleman, um, a bit older um, than their previous coach. He is 63 with plenty of experience, both coaching and playing. And um, their defense in particular has had a change in makeup, right? No more Super Herrera in goal, no more Roland Muller, right? You got Anthony Pinthus in his place. Um, and they've picked up some young, some young guys in Jordan Jarvis, Miggy Clarino. Um, Jarella Ristorenas is back. Um, so this is the, the, the club that they've decided. No more Junior Munoz, right? No more uh, Carly DeMorga is out of the picture. And that's it. So there's a, bit, a little bit of a shakeup. And um, what do you think so far of the initial impressions that UCFC has been putting? Well, let, let, yeah, I mean, you're painting this picture where, oh, they're, they're, they're fallible, you know, oh, they could be got at now with these individuals. I think you failed to mention that they've got their full arsenal of attacking prowess mm -hmm. uh, in, in position. Mendy's there, OJ's there, Vienve's mm -hmm. there, Shrocky's there. Um, James young husband has obviously moved on, but, I mean, in terms of their firepower, still by far and away the best front line they have, they have a couple of these players uh manny and mike 
Yeah, yeah the Odd Brothers, I think, traditionally uh, have done okay yeah. in this league. So I think they're going to have the creative spark still there. Listen, Jing, let, let's... Takashi, let's make, you got... Mini yeah, Takashi Adewari. Listen, they've still, still got so many quality players, Jing. Like, we could, you can spin it how you want, mate. I know you may be looking at it from your kayak glasses, but they have still got some absolute top, top-level players. Um, and, you know, in someone like Trevor Borg, I, I don't know the guy... Um, Obviously, done a bit of digging and a bit of research. Um, like you said, he's been very experienced, spent a lot of time in, in Asia, um, for, uh, formerly in, uh, in in the Indian leagues, done, done very well there. I think his, his most recent stint was with uh, um, uh, was it the Nepalese national team or Bhutan national team, which was a little ill-fated. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's coming in. He's, he's, he's got a star-studded roster to, to play with. Um, Anthony Pintus is a goalkeeper replacement. I still think, again, his pedigree is pretty good. Um, you know, haven't really seen too much of him other than what, what we saw um, back in the last year, C games. But I still can't see past them, to be honest with you, mate. It's, it's what we alluded to in the previous podcast. We were saying, you know, like, is having a condensed season going to be beneficial to, to, to the other teams in this league? You know, I said potentially, obviously, there's... If there is a slip up, you know, there's fewer games for them to, to kind of make up the difference. But I just feel like those guys keep themselves in tip top shape. You know, Shockey's on vacation. He, he still looks like he's 25, you know, <laughs> in absolute, you know, top physical shape. So, yeah, I just still think that, that you know, barring any, any sort of catastrophic uh, implosions. I just feel as though they've got too much firepower um, for for the rest of this league. Um, you know, I, I think you know maybe you'll be able to talk about this a little bit later on about some of the people that, that you know Kyra brought in. Um, you know, I still think they're going to be the, maybe the closest competitor. Um, Stallions, obviously, you know, they're going to be a formidable opponent that like they always are. Hardworking, industrious, only only does a good job, runs a tight ship. But I think if we're really looking at this objectively, I just think that they're the type of team keep themselves in, in, in tip-top shape, professionalism off the charts for this league. I just think they're going to hit the ground running and they're going to be a very tough tough juggernaut to stop. Yep. Uh, I agree with you on, on all counts, except for the fact that depth is going to be a big part this season, I think. Uh, I think fitness is going to become a problem. I think five substitutions in a match now because of the whole COVID right? situation. Is that right? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. So I think there will be a lot more shuffling that will, that will be allowed, which kind of changes the dynamic of the game, right? I mean, when you look at the back line of Dennis Villanueva, Sean Kane, and Joshua de Tosme, and uh, Angelo Marasigan, which is going to be their back line now, right? Um, I think Dennis is perhaps the most seasoned. Sean really came into his own last year. So did Joshua de Tosme. Um, Marasigan was a backup. And he was a backup to Junior Munoz, who was a great player for them, a really effective player for them. Now, Marisigan was a reliable backup, but what if Marisigan or any of that back four gets hurt? Who's in there? Joran Jarvis, Miggy Clarino, Arnie Pasinabo is being listed as a defender. Do they have enough if somebody gets hurt? Now, that's the question mark for me, right? Yeah, we Obviously, saw Takashi Odawara play at the back, didn't we, for uh, JPV. He's obviously done a few stints as a reliever in there before. Yeah. I mean, he's probably the most versatile player, I would say, in the league. And he has been doing 
you know, that utility man role for a number of years. So, you know, if he's going to go in and plug in, plug into that position, he's more than adept at playing in that, in that spot. Agreed. Um, Robert Lopez Mendy was a centre back um, back in back in the day with Archers. I'm sure he'd love to play back there. Uh, in training on occasions, he would he would jump in at centre back and be this uh, this sort of sweeper Franco Baresi type. That's what he thought. But um, I had him more like a Marcel Desailly. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking he's probably going to stay a striker. So uh, while I think yeah maybe they might be a little bit light, uh, and I agree with you that that sort of rotation is going to take its toll. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll. I'm sure they'll find a way. I mean, even those players that you mentioned there, Dennis Villanueva, you know, national team caliber, Sean Kane, national team caliber. Yep. Um, you know, we're, we're not talking about you know upstarts who have no experience. Even the likes of Jordan Jarvis has played in the league for a number of years, plenty of experience. And Angelo Marasigan is a backup, not bad. You sure. know, not a bad option. So, yeah, I, I see where I see where you're coming from. So yeah. we're coming from. All I'm um, saying is, if you're a contender this year, these are the things that you're looking at and are motivating you to be like, maybe, maybe this is our shot, right? These guys have been almost unbeatable. We beat them maybe once or twice over the course of three seasons. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is a chance, right? So I'm sure more than a few players are licking their lips about the prospects of playing a team that is perhaps haven't had an opportunity to really come together. They got a new coach, a different back line. These are all things that I'm sure these are um, exciting things to think about when you are Joven Bidik or Kinshiro Daniels or whoever is going to be leading the front line because that is a huge question mark for Kaya. Who knows, right? Takume Osato has gone back to Japan. Mm-hmm. So has Connor Takani. I mean, well, he didn't go back to Japan. He went to England. I was going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, what's going on with Connor? It's- him and Yusato got some sort of special arrangement in Japan or something. Connor's back in his hometown. So uh, I believe he's going to go back to, to, to work in a, a normal job. Actually, he's been offered a little gig by his uh, family member. So um, Connor has decided to return home and to focus on, on things other than football, uh, which is perfectly reasonable at an uncertain time like this. You know, uh, So those are two pieces, key pieces, of the Kaya squad that have departed. The question now is who comes in, right? We know that the budgets are not going to allow for a, a high-profile player to come in out of the blue. Where, I mean, if, if a high-profile player does come, then that person is going to have to take some real considerations about how they're going to get compensated, right? So who knows? I know that there are spots available, and I've heard some rumors Right, interesting, exciting players that could come in and fill a role, but again, these are discussions that need to be made with management and players to decide whether or not compensation can be agreed. But should uh, certain discussions go in a positive direction, there could be some very interesting and exciting news to be had on the fronts of Kaya. But that is all that I can say for the time being, unfortunately. That's poor. poor. That's poor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're just ex- getting everybody excited. You know, you're, you're a bit of a tease, to be honest with you. I know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not happy with this. I think you should be. I should be giving us an exclusive, but <laughs> I, I have to respect your um, your, your tight lips here, and um, we'll, we'll eagerly anticipate uh, an announcement hopefully soon. But that's that's exciting news. That's exciting yeah. news. Let's, let's see what happens. Let's watch your space, and uh, you know when you announce it, 
hopefully it will be as uh, salacious as you're making it out to be. So um, ah, if, if it, it, it pans out, I'm telling you, you're going to be licking your lips as well. Right. Um, but one thing that I did notice a while ago at the, at the PFF national training center was how exciting this place could be for Philippine football down the road. You know, you've got the three pitches, you've got the lights up. Um, they've got a new building that they're, they're looking to break ground on sometime soon. They were supposed to do it in March, but it got mm -hmm. delayed because of the pandemic. But they, they've got a whole building, four-floor building that they're going to put together with dormitories, the gym, the works for individuals, hopefully youth teams that will be housed there to prepare for national team or international tournaments. Um, all of which the budget will not come from what has been recently announced as a 1.5 million grant from FIFA that will be given to the Philippine Football Federation to further our footballing programs, Chris. None of that will go to the building, right? None of that will go to the facility that we have in Carmona at the moment. But $500,000 is going to go to the women's game. That has already been allocated. But they don't know exactly what they're going to spend it on quite yet. They know that it's going to go to the women's game, which leaves a million for the men's game and the youth game. Now, all of which we don't know where it's going to go yet, right? But what we do have are assurances from the general secretary, Edgar Stanis, that there will be no hanky-panky being done at the PFF, right? He has pointed out that he nor the president, Mariano Araneta, receive any sort of compensation for their roles in the PFF and that everything is above board and that FIFA is going to be very strict about where this money goes, right? So they're going to have to write up proposals and um, showcase where exactly these programs uh, or where the money, to which programs this money is going to go. So I'd like to ask you, Chris, there's money flowing in to the Federation. Now, the news article that I read actually was stating that this is – the type of money that no other federation around the world gets, or in the Philippines for that matter, specifically. We don't get any sort of international dispensation that allows you to be like, hey, here's some money, make the sport greater in your neck of the woods. Nobody does that, right? Not basketball, um, not taekwondo, not anything. But football is rare in that it has more, or again, more members than even Olympic committees around the world. That's how ingrained FIFA is. And they're just going to give you $1.5 If I gave you a million dollars, Chris, to spend on Philippine football, where would you put that money? We should have talked about this before, Jing, and I would have come up with a plan. Um, you put me on the spot here a little bit. Look, what first would you like all, it to see? What would you like to see it go? Oh, mate. I uh, listen, again, we've talked about so many different things on this podcast and we've talked about our sort of disappointment with the lack of programs, the lack of initiatives that are out there. And this is across the board, Jing, we're not just talking about youth or adult programs. Like, it's, it's just so many different things um, that need funding, um, that don't get funding. And you talk about misappropriation there and obviously, you know, people can say, oh, there's no, whatever, but you know, there, there is, like you said, there, if there's never been this type of injection before, well, there has been, there has been initiatives that have, that have 
been funded by FIFA. There has been money that's come to the Federation. And listen, maybe that they're just not great at publicising it. I really don't know, but I, who was involved in grassroots football, specifically in the Metro, haven't seen that many initiatives um, that, are, that are out there in, in, in the public, public eye, certainly not in, in this sort of region. So uh, that's why I'm sort of, I've met with a lot of scepticism when you, when you made that, that comment. The other day was after I spoke with Nate, I, I wrote down, I wrote down a bunch of stuff and it took me 10 minutes to write down what I would do in, in, in terms of, actually not to do with the money, I didn't even know that until you, until you mentioned it to me yesterday. Um, but what were some of the things that, that I, I, I would look to do? And one of the things I think that needs to happen is, and this is, this is my, my opinion, I think we're in a really unique position right now where we can effectively restart everything. Mm. so we were in a pandemic right so there's we've got time we've got time to implement things we've got time to uh, to write things up uh, work on its implementation you know put things commit it to paper um really sort of map out a very clear and distinct pathway that we want everyone to go on um and and if, if it was if it was my i would try to break it down into into different facets so from the youth's perspective i would try to inf uh, uh, implement a very wholesale change for how we play the youth game. I would start off by doing it per age group. So I would make sure that it isn't paired in, in, in every other year group. So at the moment, everything's done, U7, U9, U11, U13, 15, 17, 19, so on. Uh, for, for me, that creates, it creates this void, this sort of vacuum in, in each alternate year where kids specifically that are born at the back end of the year, they're just lost in that mix because that's, that's too great um, of, of, a, of, a, of an age gap to, to try to, to, to bridge that disparity. So I would mandate that teams do it in, in, in every single year group. I would then look at completely restructuring the format. So I would start as young as U6 and I would start at 2v2. So U6, I'd have it at 2v2. At U7, I would have it at 3v3. Um, U8, I would have it 4v4. U9, 5v5. Mm -hmm so on and so forth, right? All the way up. Uh, I wouldn't even have 11 aside at U13. I would keep it, at, I'm trying to work out my, my, how incremental this is. I think, I, think it's, I think I had it at 9v9 at U13 or U12 U13. Because there's a couple of things that I've noticed with the, with the Philippines, which is um, they struggle to formulate teams at, at the 11 aside level for whatever reason. Um, one of my theories is, is that kids just don't participate enough in the younger age group. So they lose interest as they get further forward because the emphasis is, is upon winning. Um, there's a great disparity between the really good teams and the, the poor teams and you're having to play against each other. It doesn't make sense and you, you beat teams 15-0. You know, so the, the, the best teams are unhappy because they're winning by a huge margin. The weaker teams are missing out because they get killed every week. So people lose interest and they invariably go into other pursuits. So I would try to sort of manage that process a little bit more and I think from a developmental standpoint, it makes sense because you're not sort of jumping from, you know, I was six, six years old playing set at 5v5. Then the following year, I'm turning seven, I'm playing U9. I'm having to play 7v7 against kids that, you know, January born nine-year-olds, you know, and I'm still this, you know, seven-year-old stuck in a five-year-old's body or whatever it might be relative to your biological age. So I think that was one of the things I would look completely wholesale. Change the format and roll it out across all federations. Say, look, this is what you have to do. Uh, infiltrate that with all of the regional FAs. Say, look, mandate it. This is what you have to do. 
these are the, and if they can't do it every year, I understand the age group, I, I understand that's fine, but you have to follow the format. Because I think one of the things that we have to do is really streamline how we go about uh, our, our technical development of, of the players. From there, what I would mandate is every other year, in the beginning, you have a regional competition. So you could have you know, your league format that runs year round. I think that has to be a mandate also that the teams compete year round. Uh, and then from there, you would have a regional competition that you run every other age group. So, you know, that could be U7, U9, in the format that we've already suggested. Um, and then from there, it will converge on a regional championship. Then it goes through into, you know, your you know, Visayas, Mindanao, uh, Luzon championship. And then we converge on one every year. Go to Carmona if that's your facility. Mm-hmm. And, you all have a, and you all have a national championship every year. Yeah. From there, you'll obviously have your, your, your ID pools, so you, you'll be easy to identify and like, okay, that's, that's, your, that's, that's a plan for the future, that's a plan for, you for the future, that's someone we should try to keep tabs on. Little undersized at the moment, but technically very good, so maybe not for now, but maybe for a few years later. And you can really start to have this uh, talent ID of all of the best players that you've got in the Philippines, and that's how you would then start to amalgamate as you get into your U13s, 15, 17s for your youth national team pools. I think that's something that really needs to, 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 to be structured and needs to be harnessed and needs to be um, formulated and, and followed. And then from there, you can tier your, your, um, your, your regional FAs. So, you know, if the NCR are, are, are compliant, they're doing everything, they've got all of their associate, uh, associate members participating in, in, in this competition, they've got X amount of members playing, you know, your goal, your, your gold star association, bang, here's your funding. This is your funding. And obviously it's tiered based on the, on the criteria that's met by each individual um, association. Have it, um, have it also then um, audited by an independent governing body. So it can't be from the, someone from the federation because you know what will happen. You know, you, you do a favor for a friend, um, they, 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 they give you the, the gold standard when you're not the gold standard and then obviously that, that, that all then becomes very wishy-washy. No. I think the same has to be done for clubs. So I think there needs to be some funding going to the clubs. So the same again, then you tier the system, gold, silver, bronze or whatever it might be. And then obviously they get funded, funding, allocated funding in accordance to that. So I think now you're starting to have this system where it is financially viable for you to try to put funds into your program, to develop your coaches, to develop your teams, to uh, meet certain criteria, because you know that there is going to be money allocated to you if you're compliant with, with, with some of these um, you know, stringent requirements that, 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 that the Federation will map out. And I think that's, that's key, because if, if it's not a system like it is in the UK where people are volunteer coaches and they're willing to go and spend time to do it. It just isn't, it isn't that type of... Uh, environment so you're going to have to really try to find a way to to monetize the federations monetize the clubs uh, to want to do these things to reach this particular standard but as long as those funding is accorded to that then i think people will be willing to do it i think and then it also will benefit those those organizations that already have those structures in place it'd be, it'd be pretty easy for them to go up there and, and do those things i think that's really important because there is no pipeline right now Jing, and we need to we really drastically need to invest in that pipeline and i think that's one way in which we, we, we should go about go about doing it um any thoughts on that because i have some other stuff but um that that was the main bulk of what i was i was trying to get at with the youth youth sector very very interesting you know because 
the way I'm thinking about it is, all right, you get 1.5 million, right? When do you get 1.5 million again, right? Which means if you're going to throw it down into programs or implementations of certain things that are one time, big time, then it's a waste of money, right? You're going to throw it into a drain essentially for a brief moment in time. Whereas you can use it as a startup investment into what you were saying, which is going to be a catch basin for all the talent throughout the entire country. And not only are you catching all the talent, you are nurturing all the talent because you are providing them with the competitions required, right? So the competition is there as the test, the test to see the good coaches, the good referees, the good players, uh, the good organizers. You're going to be able to see everybody perform to the level that they need to, right? This is where they're going to get tested. But there's also going to be the nurturing process of it, which means that there has to be good coaching done at the youth level, which means it involves the youth section, youth um, uh, department in the PFF, right? Grassroots and youth development um, department. But it also involves the technical department because the technical department is responsible for what kind of game do we want to be espousing to those in our youth uh, at the moment, right? What kind of style of play? What kind of things are we encouraging? Uh, as uh, for coaches, right? We should also be pushing a sort of style of play, a, a level of performance that we want to see from a technical standpoint, right? So that's the grassroots and the technical. And then you have your competitions department, which is responsible for actually setting up um, all of these competitions in a, how should you say, in a, they can mandate it so that there's a particular standard for all, right? Standard field, standard, um, you know, uh, protocol, standard, you know, amount of how far back are the parents, you know, what, what, is, what all yes. of that stuff, standardize it. That's all actually the word that I used when I wrote it down. Standardize the whole format, everything. So if you are able to get the right people in those three departments to collaborate together in order to roll out a new national program that has all of these regional uh, competitions, youth setups and the, a technical curriculum that has been rolled out as well, man, in five years time, you're going to be reaping the benefits of uh, a lot more organized way of catching talent and talent that will, if you do it this way, will not end up in the traditional areas where they end up like all top talent end up in the big schools playing in the same competitions, playing a limited amount of matches per per year. All of those things will be changed drastically if you're playing year-round since you were seven, right? By the time you're 13, imagine if you're playing year in, year out, you're 13 to 18. Once the time you hit college, are you going to say, okay, now you get to go to play in the UAAP where you're going to play a double round robin. So you, what do you mean? Like I'm going to play what, 14 games? That's it? That's my main season for the year? This is, this is the top of the mountain? Nah, no, 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 no. I've been playing 20 plus games every year since I was 13. You got to give me something better than that. So hopefully we create those types of individuals who are going to be bored by the prospect of playing 14 matches in some, you know, subpar level of play. So uh, that would be amazing, man. Honestly, if you could use that money, because competitions also, if you do it correctly, are not supposed to be uh, drains. 
right? They're not supposed to be where money goes to die. There's supposed to be money coming back in because especially if you do it in this manner where the community is really involved, then there's a reason for local businessmen to be like, hey, I want to sponsor this, right? My kid plays in this. I know everybody on a weekend comes out here. Why not have some brand recognition here as well, right? Support my community. I think that way there's money coming back into the competitions and some of these things could be self-sustained uh, operations for many, many years. And that's what you hope this injection of 1.5 million um, does, you know, like an upstart for something that could be more long-term. That's what I think. Anyway. Yeah. Like for me, it's really important that you fertilize the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, if you, if you go and build a facility, okay, it's great, but it's, but it's just there. You know, mm -hmm. it's not going to be necessarily a breeding ground for development. Um, if you, you know, invest in a hundred coaches, you know, those hundred coaches, they're going to coach a hundred kids, you know, and those hundred kids in, you know, there might be one, there might be 10, there might be 50 really good players that come out of that, um, you know, the, the tutelage of, of that, of that one coach. And then it, it just becomes, like I said, it exponentially will, will, will develop. And I think it's really important that you use that, that if that is that, that type of money that's going to be involved, that you use it, to, to try to develop something that's going to be long-term and it's going to be sustainable and it's going to be there for growth. And then that, that money, that million dollars or whatever it is that is allocated to that, it comes back, it comes back in space and it might not come back in physical cash, but it comes back in human capital. It comes back in players that are going to play for the national team. It comes back in, in players that are going to go and play abroad and, and, and develop, um, you know, for, for, for the, for the national team down the road. So, I mean, there's loads of other things that I put in there. I think the importance of, of developing futsal because I think that's a massive, massive one. There's just so many fields, courts that are, that are underutilized that, that could be there to, to forge that, again, that type of dynamic that we're looking for within the Philippine, Filipino player. Very technical, very fast-paced, and, and the facilities are there to develop that. Um, you know, that, that, that was another one that I, I, I put down. I think that's really important. Um, Everyone probably has a different perspective on things, Jing. You know, everyone probably has a different idea on how, how the money should be allocated. People probably think I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the youth game because that's, that's the space that I work in the most. You know, I'm sure people who work with the national team are going to want that money to be allocated to the national team. You know, people who work within women's football, obviously, they're, they're going to want more money to be invested in that. There's so many projects that it could be allocated to. Um, but I just think for, for the long-term development of the game, the benefit of, of football here in the Philippines, it can just go so far. It can go so far in, in terms of um, developing a long-term, more sustainable program for, for kids here in this country. You know, very recently, I, I was able to, to watch uh, a futsal game, um, open-air court. I haven't seen, I haven't watched a casual game in so long, Chris. Mm. It's been so long. And... Just to watch these guys play, it brought back the feeling of what it was when you were younger. You know what I mean? Like, why did I enjoy football so much? It's just like they're figuring it out. They're problem solving, trying to figure out how to get through the spaces without like proper coaching or, or the pressures of having to win or lose. You know what I mean? And there's just, it was a lot of joy watching these guys play. And there's, there's got to be something to that. You know, there's got to be facilities where people can express themselves freely without thinking about whether it's right or wrong, what they're doing, right? Without the coaching environment in, involved. And free play, 
is going to be difficult without the proper facilities. And I think, yeah, you're probably right in that. Futsal is going to be tremendous for spreading just sort of like your passion for football and for, for the, the game in general, right? Um, it's funny that you said that because it, the other thing that I really wanted to incorporate was actually a more social element to football. Like Anton's doing a great job at trying to develop that sort of uh, social environment. And, and, but it's still within a quite a competitive league. You yeah, know, it's still yeah. within a league. Like, you know, when we had Louis Clark on the show, I think he was talking about it. You know, like, where is the Veterans League? You know, there, there are a couple of um, pockets of that. I mean, the WFL used to do a really good job with that, yeah. Jing. You know, they yeah, used to do a yeah. nice job with that with the elderly guys. And I think, you know, if I'm 50 years old, I don't want to play against a 25-year-old who's going to try to run around and, and, you know, still thinks he's got a chance of making it. So, you know, I want to try and have it with people of similar age, similar physical capability, if that makes sense, and um, and just and just play at that level. Um, Louis talks about walking football. You know, it's huge in, in the UK. You know, where's disability football? I don't see kids with disabilities playing football here. Mm -hmm. You know, um, like, like deaf football is a huge one in, in, in the UK. A guy I actually played with, um, played on the England uh, deaf team. He was phenomenal. He was an unbelievable player. I mean, the only problem was he, he, he was a striker, but he would get caught off. If he was called offside, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't know. Do you know what I mean? So like, right. we, we used to be mean and play tricks on him at training and you know, pretend that he was offside. But... You know, it's it, it, football is it's so all encompassing. Do you know what I mean? There's so many different avenues that you could create through football. So this is, you know, I think the the, the main focus should be on youth. It should always be because I think that's going to create a pipeline for people yeah. to enjoy the game for you know throughout the rest of their lives. But I think investing in some of these other pockets, I think that would be really good. Also, you know, like I said, um, you know, a veterans leagues, a veterans, the veterans games walking games, disability games. Obviously, we talk about the women's game. Obviously, it's going to get a, a, a huge boost, which I think is important. But, yeah, I, I think there's, there's definitely a missed opportunity in trying to help so some of the more peripheral, uh, casual um, yeah. football football players, football fans, to, to engage in, in that type of uh, activity. I think that would be really good also. Yeah, for sure. And, and for the women, you know, I'm a little bit split. Um, I want to see a women's professional game because I feel like there's so many great talent out there that they don't have anywhere to go. You know what I mean? They have nowhere to really express themselves anymore and it provide a great opportunity for people to get excited for something after their career careers are done. Um, but at the same time, you know, why don't we just start from where we want to start with the men's game and, and, and the youth game, you know, like get the women involved at a very young age in the game um that too is in the opposite end of the spectrum but personally i'd like to see a professional game going because i feel like there's so many opportunities out there for the women's game especially since we look at them and they have the better shot of making it to the world cup if you make it to the world cup then that's an explosion that you'd want to be able to capture uh, at a professional level so yeah i mean there's that money that could go there so i mean yeah it's it's nice to daydream and think about these things because in my mind, I feel as if people are, are quick to criticize how things are. But if you ask them how you would want things to be if you were in their place, they don't have an answer. You know what I mean? So it's nice that you had your ideas and to be able to throw it out there because, yeah, you, you need individuals with a bit of vision, not just people who are going to take a seat and do the same thing that the previous person did to them and just try to do it better. It's not enough. It's not going to be good enough, right? If you, wanna, you want drastic change, you have to make drastic change and um, I think there's got to be a, a shift in the mindset as to 
maybe we, we need a visionary, you know, we need somebody who's going to lay it out and, and do things a little bit differently so we can have sort of the progress that we've been hoping for over the last 10 years. But man, from the doom and gloom of a month ago to, to being here now in September, the league could start. There's money flowing into the game. There's a new football club, new individuals and new characters that we need to uh, familiarize ourselves with, with UCFC, Maharlika, and all of that. Who, who would have thought, man, that it's going to be quite exciting here at the start of September? We're in the Burr months. Half the year has, has flown by, Chris. Yeah, yeah, two-thirds, two-thirds of the year, gone. Uh, I, I, what my hope now, Jing, really, is that we're kind of, we're on the cusp now of obviously getting back to playing. And I, I really hope that nothing kind of derails us now as we go through. Because, again, we said this before, right? It only takes one, one positive case and then all of a sudden it's, you know, yeah. the, the, the situation there becomes difficult um, to, to even get the games up and running. So I think it's a really positive step and we're moving in the right direction. But, you know, we've seen, I think it's Vietnam, again, have um, experienced a couple of spikes and they've said that they're unsure about how some of the AFC competitions are going to take place in, in, yeah. in, in Vietnam. So, you know, how, you know, the whole landscape of, of, of football is going to develop over the next month or two will, will, will remain to be seen. Um, it's a really exciting time and it's, it's, we're starting to make steady progress. I hope we can just continue this so we can, we can finally get the league started and we can finally actually get, you know, some action on the pitch because we've been waiting all year for it and uh, it's been a long and bumpy road, mate. So, um, yeah, hopefully that there are no more bumps in a row. We can just go full steam ahead and, and get this league up and running uh, for 2020. The exciting thing as well, Chris, is that there is a lot of attention being placed on the league from media. There's nothing else to cover. Mm. There's nothing going on. And here's this league that is going against the grain and they're ahead of the pack, right? The PBA is just about to get started as well. They're going to maybe begin scrimmaging um, middle of this month. So the top league in the country is the PBA. They have been the most recognized league over the last few decades. The PFL is right there in terms of their capability to operate within these rigid, rigid guidelines that you need to, to, to be able to meet in order to have a professional league going. So kudos to the PFL and the Federation for making this possible. We had no idea the, the amount of things, that the protocols that you needed to write and submit and go through these things with the GAB and IATF, that's over our heads, but they made it happen quickly. So here we are, and if we do it correctly, all the eyes are on the league. It's an opportunity to make a, a first impression to a lot of people and a reintroduction to a lot of people who perhaps have not been too excited about how the PFL has been run over the last three years. So here we go, 2020, football is back and lots going on in the world of Philippine football. If you enjoyed this episode, this little update of how things are going here in the Philippines, then we do encourage you to subscribe on YouTube, on Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And as usual, we look forward to uh, having you back here with us next week on the next Football Friday. Thanks for watching.